morning. This is Melissa Hale Spencer at the Altamont Enterprise, and I'm here today with Carol Harlow. And she is one of my favorite people. I met her years ago covering the Bernard's Westerlow schools when she was on the school board. And a couple of things stood out in my mind as I was thinking about this interview. One of them was, I think the Gulf War was on, and the school had put a sign out in front that said something like, God bless our soldiers, which to most passersby would seem kind of innocuous, you know, maybe patriotic and expected. And Carol said, whose soldiers? (laughs) And it just... It sort of turned the world upside down for me. So we've been doing this kind of sporadic look at different religions that lots of us don't know anything about, and one of them is Baha'i. And so we hope to talk to Carol about that today, but really, she's got a lot going on. (laughs) So anything that's of interest. Welcome, Carol. Well, thank you. So can you just kind of tell us how you came to be is it a Baha'i or Baha'i? Is, does it work as an adjective or a noun? Or? It can be both. Okay. Um, I would love to tell you because I think it's, a, it's, a, it's my path. It's my spiritual journey that I'm always happy to share. I was born into a, uh, uh, let's see, I was born into a Lutheran family, Germanic in St. Louis, Missouri, and I was raised a uh, Missouri Synod Lutheran, uh, including going to a parochial school for up until eighth grade. And um, but when I reached high school, there was a division in the church, which was pretty unsettling to me because I thought there was only one thing possible that was being a Lutheran, and I realized that maybe people didn't walk the talk. So that sort of sent me on a spiral that took me to a Catholic church, God forbid, a Catholic church, (laughs) if you're Lutheran, and to uh, a Buddhist temple and to asking people about their beliefs. And my first teaching job um, was in Lahaina, Hawaii, and there uh, I was invited to a Baha'i talk. Well, I never heard of that before. And since I was still in my um, time of exploring, I I said, sure. So uh, it was at a house on the island of Maui. And uh, there was just a speaker. We don't really have ministers in the faith. Each person is responsible for teaching and learning for themselves. And uh, I was just enamored by the the message that the person had to say. I was also quite interested when I looked around the room and there were people of all colors. And in Hawaii, that might seem unusual. Um, But after I'd lived there for a little while, I realized it was quite unique. So there were Filipinos and Hawaiians and young people and old people and uh, quite a mix, very different than my Lutheran congregation, I'll say. So, um, you know, I brought all my Lutheran questions with me. What about baptism? What about communion? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? 
they were very patient. They answered questions, and mostly they handed me the writings of Baha'u'llah, and they said, well, this is a religion about individual investigation, so we'll answer your questions, but you need to do some reading and investigating on your own. So they said, we encourage you to read the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, you know, um, all the religious writings, and see for yourself that <clears throat> what we believe is uh, the messages are basically the same, and you'll find that when you do your reading. Hence, <laughs> Carol has brought with her a card called The Golden Rule, and she's going to read to us, I think it's going to be from different faith traditions, it and is. what they have in common. So this is just, this is a tiny little bit, but kind of gives you an idea. So here's what some of the religions have to say, but it's all kind of based around the golden rule. So Buddhism says, hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. Judaism, what is hateful to you, do not to your fellow man. That is the entire law. All the rest is commentary. Christianity, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Islam, no one of you is a believer until he desires for his brother that which he desires for himself. And the Baha'i faith, blessed is he who prefereth his brother before himself. So all versions of, you know, don't do to somebody else what you wouldn't do to, you know, somebody close to you or <clears throat> treat others with respect. And I've, I feel in just those tiny quotes that the Baha'i faith um, ups it a little bit because it's treat people better than you would treat yourself, not just the same. So... Uh, with that beginning of my study, I studied and, and read and asked questions for a year, and I became a Baha'i in Hawaii. So, so what is the process of becoming one? You said you had all these right. questions. Is there um, a christening or baptism mm. kind of process, or how does one No, become? there is not. But um, basically what it, I had to do was say to myself, I mean, I had to own it, I believe that Baha'u'llah is the next messenger of God that would be following <clears throat> all the uh, previous messengers, Buddha, Christ, Muhammad. So we call them all teachers, ed divine educators. And we just feel that Baha'u'llah is the most recent. So it was basically saying Baha'u'llah is the next um, manifestation of God. And I am going to try and abide by his teachings. And it was signing a little card with my name on it, and that was it. And so <laughs> just kind of back up us and mm -hmm. tell us about this messenger. Okay. And I'm struggling to pronounce his name. Mm -hmm. so I'm, <laughs> yeah. um, and how the religion, because it's uh, compared to the other monotheistic major religions mm -hmm. of the world, it's really quite new. Um, how it did is. it come to mm -hmm. be? All right. So uh, the history is, well, I guess it starts with the beginning of man and God's promise, I would say through Moses, but maybe somebody before that, to never leave man alone. So <clears throat> throughout history, we our belief and uh, the teachings of Baha'u'llah state that God will send divine educators, manifestations of God throughout history. And each one of those 
restates spiritual principles. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, do good things, help others. Um, and it helps people to, to walk a spiritual path. Uh, and each one also brings social teachings for the time. So social teachings might have to do with dietary concerns, uh, drink wine. Wine is actually healthier than water at the time of Christ. Uh, don't drink wine, Muhammad, because by this time, alcohol had become a problem <clears throat> socially. That's just a tiny example. So um, the social teachings changed. The spiritual principles were not the same. In the old days, we used to say, um, the old days, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm 70, so the old days, yeah, we'll say 50 years ago. Uh, yow. <laughs> anyway, um, that if you took those computer cards, remember the computer cards with I the whole print out, yes, punch outs in them. So if you put one of, if you made one of those for each religions with the major teachings, that all the holes that went through all the cards were how they were all the same, which was many. Uh, an example would be belief in life after death, or that there is a soul and it goes on a journey and, you know, people called it heaven or nirvana or lots of different things. But basically they all uh, talked about <clears throat> life after death and it in some way being affected by what you did on this earth. So there's one. So um, yeah, so <clears throat> Baha'u'llah actually means the glory of God. Baha is glory, Ullah is like Allah of God. So, And like Christ came out of Judaism, because he was born a Jew, Baha'u'llah was born into the Islam faith, and then s split apart like Christ had his own mission, which was uh, a continuation of Judaism, but changed, uh, especially with social teachings. And Baha'u'llah did the same uh, from Islam. So he was born, sorry, I'm not good with dates, but uh, from, in 1817. And <clears throat> he also had a precursor, sort of like John the Baptist. And, and this man, we call the Bob or the Gate, uh, kind of predicted and prepared people just like John the Baptist did for Christ and said, you know, the, the next messenger is coming and uh, we should be on the lookout for what who that person is. So when Baha'u'llah, he was just born normal, you know. Mm -hmm. We don't say he was, there was no virgin birth or anything like that. But um, so he was born into a family, really, of privilege, like some other of the manifestations, including Buddha. Um, <clears throat> but um, his life story, I think, could be read, you know, through online or other uh, ways, but he, um, as he started to proclaim his mission, I'm the next messenger of God, well, you can imagine that got some flack from the current imams, went, no, <laughs> Muhammad is the seal of the prophets, meaning the last, and uh, Baha'u'llah's message was one of peace and unity, and <clears throat> so... Uh, he didn't claim to be a king, just like Christ didn't claim to be a king, but, you know, he was given the designation king. And he said, I'm not the last of the manifestations. I'm just the next one. 
and we might compare that to uh, children in second grade or third grade saying, well, I have the best teacher. Oh, yeah, but there's another one next year, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'd say, Bahala's the next teacher, and he said, my teachings will be good for a 1,000 years, and then there'll be another manifestation come because man, uh, hum- hum- humanity, men and women, uh, you know, splinter off, form divis- divisions, may form sex, you know, like I don't know how many Christian sects there are, but many, and uh, needs, if we're going to be unified, we have to have a unifying force. So. so in listening to this, what I'm hearing that seems different than some of the other religious religions we've talked to people about is it seems inclusive in the sense that rather than defining, say, Christianity against Judaism to delineate the differences, it seems to be that it's looking at it almost as a continuum and a sense of including those others on equal You have it exactly right. It was my draw to the faith that didn't exclude or say we're the better or the best. Yeah. Yeah. The question that it then raises in my mind, if we look at the example in the opening of the podcast, and there are other ones too, Mm -hmm. when um, Carol was on the school board, for instance, it was a common practice then to have kids at Christmas time write about the smells in the house and the activities in the house. And, you know, it seems on the surface like a nice idea, but Carol brought up to the board that this wasn't fair. There were Jehovah's Witnesses that were part of the school system and didn't do those things, or someone of her faith, and that there should be another more inclusive assignment. Or another example was... um, It was traditional to have a, I think it was a breakfast maybe at the school that was sort of prayer driven. And there was still, even though the Supreme Court had kind of, uh, you know, said no to prayers at, say, graduation ceremonies at public schools, that was still going on. And Carol would never be uh, aggressive or nasty in her questioning of this, but she'd raise these <laughs> issues at meetings. And so coming out of this continuum of inclusion, I'm wondering if it's just very difficult as an individual in your faith to point out to other people that what someone might think is a patriotic sign is really in some ways an affront. I mean, how do you do that as a as an individual. That's tricky. Actually, I deal with that all the time, that I put myself out there as a Baha'i. Do you want an example? I'd love that. And I'd love to understand what you go through internally, because you're Mm. very, seem like a very gentle person. You Mm. don't seem like someone, you know, some of us have a personality that's more... Feisty. Ready for a a fight, yeah. Uh, Well, first of all, you know, I'm... I try to be guided by the principles, which are those of unity. So it's not to have a fight, but it is, in a way, to educate. So that is my approach. How do I educate? Um, And, you know, it's my profession as well, since I've been an educator my whole life. Well, maybe we'll just take a little detour there. We're going to hold this thought and get back to it. But we should have gone over this background at first. I know you mentioned your... First teaching job was in Hawaii. Yeah. But tell us a little about, excuse me, 
<clears throat> how you became a teacher and why and what your career has, how it's unfolded. Okay. And then we'll get back to that big okay. question. Okay, so hold that thought. All right, so, um, hmm. well, I graduated from the University of Missouri, and my goal was to be a teacher. It was, at the time, teacher or nurse. Maybe you had that experience. Yeah. Uh, nurse, I didn't think was going to work for me because I get nauseous at the sight of blood and pain. But um, <clears throat> so became a teacher. And um, I don't know that I had any more goal than that was just what I was going to do. you know. But my first teaching job, as I mentioned, was in, well, Lahaina Luna High School in Maui. I was an English teacher. And like so many of our experiences, you know, I probably learned more than I taught. Um, but I never learned how to surf, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> <laughs> Even though students tried to teach me. Uh, but it kept me mindful that they weren't that good at English in some cases, and I wasn't so good at surfing, so that was okay. You know, we worked it out. <clears throat> but I think uh, becoming a Baha'i in Hawaii really gave a sense of purpose to all of my education from then on, so that teaching for me wasn't just about teaching English or grammar or writing. Um, anyway, so after that, I was uh, my husband and I moved to New York. I was a teacher at Gilderland High School for several years, 1977 to 79. No, before that, sorry, 75 to 77. So now we've skipped over another big life event. You said, my husband, where did he come from, and how did you end up here? Okay, so he also went to the University of Missouri, and um, he was working on a Ph.D. So when I went off to Hawaii for a year, um, he came over and proposed to me at Haleakala. Oh, how romantic. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of romantic, except I did say no. (laughs) Anyway, uh, you know, rethinking, um, I said yes, and we got married in uh, St. Louis, Missouri, 1969. And what brought you you to Gilderland? Yes, so then he uh, got a job with Knowles Atomic Power Lab when he was applying for jobs. And then you taught to English Kennedy. at Gilderland, is that? Yeah, yeah. we taught, I taught English. So he got the job with Knowles Atomic. I uh, taught English at Gilderland, yeah. And that was, that was difficult only because teaching is difficult. And when you're a new teacher and you don't, you know, you're trying to get all your lessons together and um, do the best you can. So that's what I was doing. I was totally committed to that. And I, I loved it. Uh, and then decided to start having a family, <clears throat> and that interfered with a job. So, um, you want family stories that goes I'd with it? I'd love to have <laughs> okay. some of that. Yes, right. and especially with uh, were your children raised in the Baha'i faith? Yeah. Okay, so so yes, yeah, so I I ultimately had three children: um, Sarah, uh, Jeremy, and Joshua, who. Were great, and then uh, before putting away the baby clothes, um, my husband said, "Well, you know, you've always wanted to adopt a, a child, so now's the time before we get rid of all this baby stuff." <laughs> and I agreed, so we went in search of uh, an international adoption, and through Parsons, so we 
have our fourth daughter, Katie. So to me, this was an extension also of the Baha'i teachings. How can you teach lack of prejudice if you don't practice it? How do you teach your own kids to be um, inclusive if they don't? You know, it's, to me, it was just very easy to, to think I need to have a family that incorporates people who look different than me, you know? So and my daughter is Korean-born. Korean. Korean. And actually, at this time, she has a little tattoo on the back of her hairline that says, Made in Korea. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so <clears throat> Katie became the fourth member of our family and, and uh, you know, just a beautiful little girl. But right away, um, I'll never forget, Jeremy was probably three or four at the time, and we went to the airport to get Katie, because they flew her in from uh, Korea. And uh, when he, we were kind of driving Katie around, she was in her car seat, she was like nine months, um, one of Jeremy's four-year-old friends looked at her and said, oh, she's so dark. Well, she's, she's like got black hair and she's dark. And Jeremy spoke right up and he said, well, she's from Korea, <laughs> as though to say, don't you know anything, <laughs> you know? So uh, throughout Katie's and all of the kids, um, high school, elementary school, high school, uh, there were some issues with people calling Katie some names, kids, you know, slant eyes, some things like that. And the administration was on top of it. <clears throat> and my own kids were careful and watched and, you know, protected her. So it was just another extension of my beliefs, how we would have to do that in the world. So, And yes, our kids were raised. Um, Jack is not a Baha'i, but <clears throat> um, I, you know, I... I was um, the only Baha'i. No, there was one other person in Eastburn where I live. Uh, but I did bring the kids. We had children's classes in Albany and West Sand Lake. There are Baha'is scattered throughout the Albany area, and we'd rotate homes. And it was Sunday, Sunday morning. So it's still like a regular time for worship on Sunday. It's a coming together. It's of- not. Oh, it's, not. <clears throat> it's not, but oh, that was when everybody was off school. Be yeah, I it see. was convenient, and we would <clears throat> we could commit to that. So you know, as a group, we decided on Sunday morning. This was just the most logical. So we took a little family trip mm-hmm. off of our main trip. Yeah, but the rest of your career, I th- I think I you ended up as a school administrator eventually. I was, yes. Yeah, so I was a um, yeah. When I decided to go back uh, into you know, after four kids, I stayed home for a lot of years. But um, then, and it, during that time, I did some of the things that you mentioned. So I would go into classrooms, and at our holiday, I, the teachers would allow me to do some kind of party for my kids. You know, we wouldn't do, too, it wasn't proselytizing, but here, really it was education. You know, there's another religion, and here's another day, and <clears throat> here's what, this family might do to celebrate. And I'd say teachers were really good about that. Bring in treats, you know. Yeah, that's nice. Something like that. And also, my kids needed something. I mean, they didn't have Christmas exactly. It was very modified because grandparents all celebrated. Yeah. But grandparents were all out of state. So, (laughs) you know, I didn't want them to feel deprived. Uh, At the same time, it wasn't 
part of our practice because you could practice the uh, holidays of all religions, honestly, if you wanted to. But Um, that must be hard, raising children in an environment where you're not surrounded by others of the same faith. It is. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. But we did have, they had Baha'i friends Mm -hmm. um, and kids their age that were doing the same thing. So they weren't alone. So have they stayed with that religion? They have not, although I would say they, in their hearts and what I see in their lives, they practice the principles, which to me is maybe even more important than saying I'm a something on this religion or that religion. So they have the heart without the label. I I feel that they do. Yeah. 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 So now we're getting back on... Oh, sorry. So, and yes, I did become... um, a high school principal in Germantown. So that's where I ended up for like 20 years. And actually I brought the Baha'i faith in my own way there because um, Germantown, like Bern, is small rural, you know, community um, and not very diverse. So one of the things I was very proud of that I brought there was a number of exchanges uh, with China. So I found sister schools in China, and I took kids to China, students with me. Uh, We did homestays, and then those same schools would bring students back to a Germantown. So we did that a number of times. And it was a way to say, there's another world out there, there are other people, other cultures, let's embrace them and learn about them. And what an important time to be doing that when China is such a rising power and there yeah. seems to be such distrust between the nations. So anyway. So back to the original yeah. question. What is it like, especially with your gentle personality, to, um, you were going to give us an example, oh, right. to have to stand up or speak out about something that, seems normal to most people without thinking through the different tenets that might make that not um, not acceptable. Uh, one of the things that's happened um, over the last five years is that the same people I went to elementary school with, that means parochial school and church and our church family and our parents all knew each other, is we've started having, actually I started having, reunion. So these are people I went to kindergarten, first grade with, some I went to high school with, and some I went to university with. But and we've collected each other. And, oh, nice. um, and they're still Lutherans, I'm assuming. Some yeah. are, yeah. some are not. Um, nobody's probably become as different as I have. Some are more agnostic, I would say. So we, we've been meeting um, twice a year. And we meet in each other's communities, and we live all over the place now. So the last one was in Aspen. That was the summer. In Colorado. In Colorado, yeah, for one of our classmates who became a doctor and uh, has a home in St. Louis and in Aspen. But we all went to Aspen. And we do fun things together. But um, there's always a religious component, I'll say, Uh, depends whose home it's in. If it was in my home, it would be a little bit different. I'm not, you, you know, I'm not pushy. So I didn't have prayers before meals because actually we don't necessarily pray before meals. Uh, but, you know, if they were there and they, the other friends wanted to pray, fine, you know, we didn't, no objections. Uh, so in this case, 
the uh, gathering was in Aspen, and um, the person who held it, the man, was of, he's pretty strongly Missouri Baptist, uh, not Missouri Baptist, Missouri Synod uh, Lutherans to this day. And he would ask different members of the group to be prepared to say the prayer before the meal, right? He never asked me. <laughs> I don't know if he, he knows I'm a Baha'i. I don't know if he knows that I pray or I, he doesn't know. Uh, so at one of the meals, he had asked really one of my best friends in life, uh, would she have prepare a prayer? And she said to him, well, why don't you ask Carol? You know, she, she'd say the prayer. He, he didn't. Uh, so mealtime came, and um, he said, you know, Stephanie, would you say the prayer? And she said, well, I, I think we should have Carol say a prayer. No, that wasn't going to happen. He didn't really say anything overtly, but Stephanie went ahead and said uh, a prayer that she had written. And... <clears throat> Oh, I, the piece I forgot was he said, no, this is a Lutheran pot roast. <laughs> oh, my. This is Lutheran pot roast. <laughs> what? <laughs> and uh, anyway, so Stephanie went ahead and said the prayer, and I kind of choked on the pot roast all Off during the meal, meal thinking what a, what a mean, exclusive thing to say. So how am I going to deal with that, you know? Yeah. So of course my first uh, <laughs> my first reaction may be like yours I don't know you know my temper went up and I didn't say anything uh, but I had brought the dessert for dinner and at the end of the meal um, and I did eat the pot roast because I thought well that would just be spiteful not to not that he'd even notice. Um, so he said, well, Carol, since you brought the dessert, would you mind, like, serving it? And I said, no, but I said, you know, this dessert is for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and it was small. Yeah. And our next gathering is going to be in St. Louis, and I've been thinking already ahead of time what I need to do before I go to St. Louis where, you know, we'll all be back together. And I haven't t taken any steps. I haven't called him, contacted him, I mean, except through group emails. You know, we're all getting ready for the next uh, gathering. But I do will need to say something, and I'll say it before we get there. And I will offer a prayer, <laughs> you know. So I have to think in terms of education. How am I going to help educate this already very well-educated person, but in tolerance and in understanding and uh, in in a unified manner that doesn't make anyone feel bad or angry. And, you know, right, it's tricky. Yeah, that's very hard to do. I had thought being a lesser level of kindness than you, the end of the pot roast story was going to be, you were going to say, this is a Baha'i dessert. <laughs> no, that's not what you said. No, it was so, not. So, yeah. Um, so I have to be thinking like that a lot, and I have to twist my thinking to be... Remember, people just need some education. And spiritually, he wants the same thing. You know what I mean? We, we, we want to grow. We want to improve ourselves. And how can I help him do that by the way I treat him? So I have to be kind of an example. Well, especially in the times we find ourselves in now, where I feel 
you can even see it in our posts or in our letters pages. There just seems to be almost a hatred that's been unleashed in a way I that know. it wasn't before. And I just wonder um, if it comes from um, almost being given permission by our current president, <laughs> if people somehow feel that that has made it okay or even desirable to focus on differences. And I just felt when you were in the leadership position in the school, because Carol became the school board president at one point, you know, if there are things, or when you led the school as a principal in Germantown, if there are people listening that are in these leadership roles or, um, you know, if there is advice you can give on... I don't remember. Did they take the sign down that said "God bless our soldiers"? They changed it. How do? How do you? Good question. I don't. I yeah. don't know. Actually, I think the that outcome yeah. is great when it happens, but I would say more often does not happen. But if per, if a person even thinks, has a second thought about it, oh yeah, you know that could be true. Should we only be blessing our soldiers? What about the soldiers of the world? Does that mean don't bless them? I mean, that was my thinking at the right, time. Right, that was your thinking. But how unusual to say that when our country's at war? This idea that there's something that transcends that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> you know, it's one heart at a time. It's one thought at a time. And um, I'm not gonna. You know, you're not going to over anybody. <laughs> no, actually, it's against our religion to proselytize. Oh, it's my. okay if someone asks a question. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly answer or give them something to read or invite them. There are a number of events in um, in Albany and surrounding areas. There was a huge teaching event October. One second. Yeah. Anyway, October twenty second. It was the 100th anniversary of Baha'u'llah's birth. So throughout the Baha'i world, and I mean the world, not just Albany or... I was in St. Louis at the time. I went to the event there. But throughout the world, uh, there was commemorations for this. Uh, you, you know, the birth of... Like the birth of Christ, but for us, the birth of Baha'u'llah. And um, so... Part of my own need is to keep my own spirit strong, you know, in light of the fact that there are very few of us. And um, you can go to the the writings of any religion, the writings of Baha'u'llah, say prayers, um, meet so with fellow co religionists, you know. Are these writings gathered in a book? There are many the, books, yes. Many separate books. And what language mm-hmm. are they in? They're They've been translated into many languages. Arabic, Farsi, yeah. And where in the world is the greatest concentration? Of Baha'is. Yeah. Well, the religion began in Iran. Right. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Baha'u'llah lived in Iran, and then uh, his son, Abdu'l-Baha, we call him the exemplar of the faith, but um, moved to Israel. And actually, the world center of the Baha'i faith is in Haifa, Israel. Oh, isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. So, kind of you the know, monotheistic the, capital it is. of the world. Well, Israel houses, you know, is the home to the, yeah. many of the world's great religions, yeah. you know. So, we find that kind of uh, mm, 
I don't know. Uh, it's wonderful because since we believe that world, you know, religion is one, man is one, religion is one, God is one. Yeah, why not one country where they all kind of locate their center? You know, but so far that hasn't worked out well. <laughs> well <laughs> Let's hope the politics, you know, some, you know. Yeah, some right. of the commonalities. It would be so right. wonderful if they would supersede the differences. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, do you have any closing thoughts for us? I feel like you're a woman of great wisdom. Oh, thank you. I don't know if I feel so wise. Um, wisdom. You know, I don't. I would just say that each person, I, I feel, should work on their spiritual self, find a spiritual path. It's not just all about us, our egos, our what's good for me, my material needs. It's uh, what's really good for our spirit and our soul. And um, and how do we keep that as healthy as the rest of us? And your spiritual path may take you to the mountains of Nepal or, you know, into the church in Altamont. It doesn't matter. Um, but what matters is your own spiritual health and growth. And my path has been through the Baha'i faith. Thank you, Carol. <laughs> <laughs>